How are we doing, King's Church? It's a pleasure to bring the Word of God. Amen. We unashamedly teach what God says. And God has a lot to say about so many different aspects of our life, this being one of those aspects. And particularly an important one for us to talk about. And so we take some time uh, every October to spend anywhere from one to three sermons uh, looking at this uh, topic of money and your heart and thinking about that. And one of the main reasons we do that is because we've found as as we're seeing more people come to know Christ or or whatever it is, or we're seeing a lack of teaching in this area for some people as they're growing up or in the church, we we just want to be able to say, this is what God says. Don't take my word for it. Please don't ever do that. Listen to what God says uh, about this, and, and just to be an opportunity to teach about that, the, the opportunity about stewardship in general, but giving, we're going to be talking about specifically tithing this morning, but a steward is someone who takes care of someone else's stuff. It's that simple. God teaches that everything we have is his. It's not ours. He's made us stewards of that. And so what, that's one of the reasons we do this. God says, very simply, we'll look at it in this passage, tithe 10% of your income. That's what, that's what God says. And oftentimes people are unaware of that. Jesus and Paul in the New Testament never got rid of this commandment. You never see Jesus appear on the Mount Olives and say, by the way. Doesn't say that, right? And then also the reality is that the greed and love of money is the temptation that we face every day. It's part of who we are. It's part of the things that we have to fight. And perhaps a unique challenge we face in America, this being the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Okay. Um, also, we want you to know that God uses your money mightily. But one of my favorite parables is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and a little boy brings his lunch that he had for the day. And if God takes what he had and uses it mightily. Okay. And God does the same thing with us. He doesn't ask us to bring what we don't have. He asks us to bring what we do have. Okay? And so uh, what we do, uh, just kind of our process at King's Church, just to remind you, what we do is we take October to talk about stewardship. In November, the leadership of the church will be putting together the budget. And then December, we'll be talking about it together as a congregation. So do get in the pledge cards by October 24th is very, very helpful. So last week, again, talking about this idea of stewardship, I was able to stay in the Gospel of John, which is what I've been preaching through. We looked at really one of the most extraordinary statements in the Bible. John the Baptist is seeing his influence, which he had so much of wane. It's going down. He's not as influential as he used to be. Jesus is gaining influence. And you would think in that scenario, typically when that happens to us, we feel bad about it. When someone else gets a promotion, we used to be good, they're good now, we don't like it. But John is extraordinarily, uniquely, and mysteriously satisfied with that. Makes a beautiful statement. He must decrease. I mean, I must decrease and he must increase. And he finds complete joy in the purpose that God has given him. He had really good ministry to do. His job was unique in human history in that he got to make the way clear for the Savior of the world to come in. And he would have missed the blessing of that if he would have desired Jesus' ministry. So we talked about our purpose in life as stewards. What's our purpose? And how to be satisfied with what God has given us to do and the beauty that it is. And then this week we'll talk more specifically as we think about this classic paddle of the sermon being robbing God. So all of you have thought a lot, I'm sure, about first impressions. We want to make good first impressions if we're going to a job interview, if we're meeting someone for the first time. 
particularly if it's a blind date or something like that. You want to present yourself well because we've all heard and experienced the power of first impressions. Uh, this, from what I understand, you have essentially 20 seconds to make a good first impression on someone. Uh, one of my favorite comedians said that the, your whole show can be dictated by your first two minutes on stage. If you don't, if they don't, you don't give them a reason to, to pay attention, then you lost them for the whole rest of the time they were out there. First impressions are a big deal, and they are pretty good indicators, but they're not always true. I remember uh, when I served as a pastor at a church in Anderson, South Carolina, there was a, when I first moved there, there was an elder in the church, and he was an influential man, not only in the congregation, but in the city as a whole, and, and I knew he was an influential man, and also knew that he was a, a wealthy man, and so when I first met him, he was also in leadership of the church, he, he actually had a very cold demeanor about him, kind of gruff, very, very business very businesslike, and, and I had this image in my mind at the time about what I thought rich people were like, and he kind of fit that bill, and so I had a very negative first impression of him, and initially thought to myself, oh boy, he's going to be on the session, we're going to see how this is going to go for the next few years, and I was dead wrong, I couldn't have been more wrong, this was how the guy presented himself, but he, as I got to know him, he came to be the most generous man I've ever met in my life, he continually used his wealth for God's glory, and continuously blessed people. Several examples of that. I, can, I know for a fact that he, I never saw the budget. I never know what anybody gives on purpose. Our treasurer knows that, but I never know what anybody gives. But I know because it was communicated to me that he tithes well over 10% and was able to support a large portion of the church for that reason. One time, I, um, one of the guys that I was discipling at the time, we had a birthday party for him. We went to this nice restaurant, and lots of his friends and our friends were there together. And we walked, and we saw him in the restaurant, waved to him. And when we walked out at the end of the night, there was no bill. He had just taken care of the he had just taken care of the whole meal. He had a beautiful vacation home that he was extremely generous, particularly for people that couldn't afford to go on vacation. Crazy generous guy. But my first impression of him was dead wrong. Now, some of you have an impression about the church and money, and maybe that's because of your experience in life. Maybe that's because of the corruption that you've seen with church and money throughout your life. We've all seen it. It's, it's totally true. And so you come to this issue of church or tithing or God and money, and you have a scar or a jade against you. And what I hope to do for you this morning is just simply to show you what the Bible teaches and to show you that maybe, I'm sorry for those of you who had a terrible first impression, but to show you that first impressions are actually sometimes dead wrong. And what God teaches us about money and stewardship is actually a beautiful thing. And he does care about you, and he does care about you and your money, and we'll look at that this morning. So without any further ado, let's look at God's word together. Malachi chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you'll see the words printed for you in your order of worship that you received this morning. But let us take some time together to read and consider this precious word of the living God. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? 
Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your field and will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. Why did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. Even those who challenge God escape. Then those who fear the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in the presence in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make my treasure, I will make up. In the day when I made up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you again will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray together. God in heaven, ruler and creator, sustainer over all, even the breath in our lungs. We come to you and look at your word. And we have a simple and yet profound prayer. We ask, God, that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together and you would make them pleasing in your sight as we worship you over your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a big idea this morning. The biggest barrier between you and tithing, this whole concept of tithing, is your false beliefs about God. The biggest barrier between you and this concept of tithing is your false beliefs about God. What I'd like to argue that this passage teaches us, and we'll go through it piece by piece, is that your biggest issue is you have a theological problem, not an accounting problem. That it, there is what there is a, a, a philosophy of mind when you approach God that is affecting this. This is a faith issue. This is a spiritual issue. The Israelites had the same problem. They had the same problem, and God's addressing them, and the words are still ringing true in our ears as we read them this morning. So, what I want to show you in this passage are five barriers, okay? Five barriers, five false beliefs, okay, that are barriers to tithing. Five false beliefs that are barriers in our hearts to tithing. And they are, that the barriers, the false beliefs are this. God changes... God overlooks disobedience, God is stingy, God does not punish evil, and God is indifferent towards me. Those are the five false beliefs that very oftentimes are buried in our heart. Number one, false, this false belief that is a barrier to tithing, God changes. Okay, look at verses six and seven again. 
God says through Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change, so you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So the moment of time that we're in right now is a time of exile. Okay, so here's the situation. God has gotten his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he's given them this wonderful land. They were disobedient. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they eventually got into the land that he had promised them. Okay? They were in the land, and God made them flourish. Like, like really no human society had flourished before, and it was strictly because of the blessings of God, but their hearts turned away. And they worshipped other gods. They were tempted specifically with the sexual practices that these other gods had as a part of their worship service. And they were tempted and their hearts fell away time and time again. And God had grace upon grace upon grace. But he, like a good father, disciplined his son and eventually enough was enough. He never broke his covenant. Not one time. But he disciplined his children through exile. Babylonians came in and ransacked the city and destroyed the temple and took the best and the brightest of the land in exile to Babylon. For example, when you read the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel himself, they were exiles in a foreign territory because of the sin of Israel. But in 537, uh, 537 B.C., the Persian Empire takes over Babylon. And Cyrus II decrees that some Jews can return and they can rebuild their temple. And Malachi was written a little bit after that time, around 558 to 533 B.C. Here's the spiritual climate. So it's been a few years, anywhere from 30 to 50 years since they've been back in the land. And everyone is extremely depressed, disappointed, and cynical towards God. And here's why. When they left Israel, everything was glorious. The temple was beautiful. One of the seven wonders of the world, no doubt. And now that they've returned, they returned and had to rebuild their nation without a lot of resources. They're they, the, the Cyrus let them come back, but there was still a puppet government there. And when they looked at God, they didn't see him as glorious. They actually probably had a cynical attitude towards him. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about anger? One of the biggest causes of anger is disappointment. That's them. They're, they're reading these words and, and the priests are actually corrupt. If you read the beginning of chapter 3, you'll see that the priests are corrupt. It's, it's a mess. But the spiritual climate is one of apathy because of a deep root of cynicism and disappointment. They cannot believe. In fact, I hope that you heard as I was reading the sarcasm in their voice when they say, the Lord Almighty, yeah, right. The Lord Almighty. And their practice, their worship, their obedience, specifically in terms of tithing, reflected that cynicism and apathy. That's the context. Verse 6, God comes into that and says, I, the Lord, do not change so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Essentially, what God is saying to them is, it may, you may feel like I have changed. You may feel like I used to do all these powerful things, and now I don't do them anymore. But I haven't changed. In fact, you were the ones who were disobedient in the first place, and that's why I left. In fact, the, here's the reality. You can know that I haven't changed because you are still a nation. 
I pledged my covenant faithfulness to you, God says, and you ran away from it time and time again, but you still exist because of my covenant faithfulness and grace to you. And one of the things that they were tempted to believe is that God used to love us and now he doesn't. God used to be powerful and now he's not. God doesn't change. We change. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of a man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God's not like men wavering in his opinion. He sets his mind on something and he does it 100% of the time. He makes a word and his promise and it happens 100% of the time. God has not changed the confession. I'm going through our body of beliefs or doctrines with our leaders in training right now. And we're going through the confession. And chapter 2 um, of the confession talks about God. It says that he is immutable and without passion. The word immutable means God doesn't change. And when it says no passion, it doesn't mean that God doesn't feel deeply. I would argue that God can feel deeper than we can feel. But it means he's not swayed by his feelings. He doesn't go through mood swings. I don't, I don't know if you guys love it as much as I do, but I love, I love those snicker commercials, right? Don't you love those? My favorite one is with Joe Pesci, you know, where, where they're at this party and, and they're trying to pick up these girls and he's like, what are you looking at, you know? And then he, then he takes them aside and he says, listen, you need to eat this. You're not yourself, right? There, there's someone close to me, and I won't mention a name. I may have covenanted myself to her, but uh, who can get a little hangry every now and then. Right? It's a real thing. It's a real thing. But the reality is that's not what God is like. That's not what God is like. He doesn't shift based on his mood. He's always the same. He can feel both deep pain and, and, and wild happiness and not be swayed by it. He does what he has willed to do. He does what his character allows. End of story. God has not changed, and the proof is Israel exists. God made a covenant with Abraham. I will make you into a nation. And it happened. And it still continues. Oftentimes we believe that God has changed his mind towards us. Hear me when I say this. The circumstances in our life lead us to believe that God feels differently towards us. There's a careful distinction that I need you to hear me make right now, okay? God can be disappointed in you. God does not like it when you sin. But that doesn't change the fact that you were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and God sent his son for you. It doesn't change that fact. My children disappoint me from time to time. And I never revoke their sonship because of it. God has not changed in the way he felt for you. He doesn't go to Jesus sitting on the throne and goes, maybe it was a bad idea. Maybe we shouldn't have done that. It never happens. Okay? God feels the same way. We are tempted to think that God works differently now because of our circumstances. And that applies oftentimes when it comes to tithing. We might believe, for example, that God doesn't require the same things anymore. And I would humbly submit to you that you examine the scriptures for that belief. When did the standards change? God has always required a tithe, which means a tenth, a ten percent. 
And Jesus and Paul didn't lower the standard. They pointed out the heart of giving. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples to leave everything. That's not a tithe. That's not a tenth. That's 100%. Okay? Um, and, and in fact, the rich young ruler, one of the parables of the rich young ruler, was prevented from seeing the kingdom of God because of his love for money. Paul taught to the Corinthians to give cheerfully and sacrificially. And he says to the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they gave out of their poverty. Now, one of the things that's difficult for us is particularly in our society, we live under this illusion of safety. We have insurance, again, which is not a bad thing. It's not what I'm saying, but let's listen up. We have insurance, capitalism. Capitalism is an awesome thing. We have the stock market, technology, grocery stores. All of those things are wonderful. But they can create this illusion of safety and independence from God, and he has never wanted that for you. You want to talk about a posh life? Think about what it was like in the Garden of Eden, where everything was there and they didn't even have to work for it. Even in the Garden of Eden, they were depending on God for their every single breath and satisfied with it. You were not created for independence. You were created for dependence on the Lord, and it is a gift of God. And even all of those things that we enjoy that bring us comfort and safety, they could change in a moment. But God does not change. God does not change. Tithing is still a thing, and you still have to depend on God for everything. The biggest barrier between you and tithing is your false beliefs about God. Number one, God changes. Number two, the false belief that is a barrier to your tithing is that God overlooks disobedience. Verse 7, Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi is pointing out their sin and calling them to, re to repent. Repentance is a simple idea. It means to turn away from your sin and back to God. Turn away from your sin and back to God. God does not overlook disobedience. In fact, he punishes it or disciplines it. People think oftentimes, maybe you struggle with this, I know I have in the past, that they can obey whichever command that they want or that Jesus is just all grace and love and daisies and just will look past our sins. That is not the reality. God does not, hear me, God does not look past your sins. He paid for them with his blood. He doesn't just look past them. They were expensive. John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Matthew chapter 28, great commission. It's the fuel of what, everything we do at King's Church. Then Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything, everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's an aspect of discipleship that fuels everything we do at King's Church. Is we don't just want to teach you some things. We don't just want to ourselves believe some things. God commands us to obey in everything. He doesn't just overlook the sin. You know, in our family worship time when we get together and 
read a a small portion of the Bible, pray together. Sometimes we're able to read a song. We're in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 right now. And the picture is of Mount Sinai, and there's this mountain, and the cloud descends upon it. There's lightning. It says there's trumpet blasts. And, and it's just this, this epic picture that, that really movies could not capture where you could feel the weight and the glory and the power and the wrath and the anger of God right there. And God speaks the Ten Commandments to them. And it was such a terrible experience. Moses writes of it later that he was even trembling. Okay, Such a terrible experience that they say, please, Moses, don't let God talk to us again. God does not overlook our sin. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The exile was punishment for sin and it brought about repentance and restoration. The question that we're asking ourselves, I hope, is what do we need to repent of? Perhaps it's the lack of tithing point out with this passage says the fact that you've been robbing God Malachi 3 verse 8 will a man rob God yet you rob me but you ask how do we rob you in tithes and offerings you are under a curse the whole nation of you because you are robbing me bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food robbing God God owns everything but he says in this passage specifically that the tithe is holy it is Imagine the temple and all of its glory or the tabernacle or whatever and then at nighttime someone just sneaking in and grabbing one of the lampstands and setting it on their dining room table in the house. Imagine someone breaking into the cabin, our cabin property, and, and stealing some of the things out of there or, or this place that we worship. It's hard to imagine that. That's exactly what happens when you don't tithe. You're taking something that is the Lord's. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy, set apart, consecrated, purposeful to God. What's hap- what he's saying here is that a lack of tithing is theft. I didn't say it. He said it. You got it? You hear me? God says this is what's, this is what's happening. Tithe, the, the Hebrew word, maser means tenth. God demands 10%. It is his. It's holy. The offerings, if you look at what Exodus says in Leviticus, that there is offerings which are the voluntary gifts that we give to God on top of our tithe. Tithe, 10%. And then the offerings are the voluntary things that we just feel compelled to give to God or other organizations on top of the tithe that we bring into God's church The Bible teaches that we are not supposed to tip, but to tithe. There is a lot of debate over this issue in some Christian circles. I'm just showing you what the scriptures say. Figure it out for yourself. I just read it to you. Okay. Another thing it says in this passage is that you are under a curse for not... That God is punishing you, that difficult things are happening in your life, that God is punishing you for theft. Again, Jesus spilt his blood to overcome our sins. If you are in Christ, God loves you through the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean 
that you're not being punished or disciplined just like you would punish a son for your theft. God does not overlook our sin. Verse, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The whole tithe, all 10%. Now, a lot of people have asked me this question over the years. Am I supposed to tithe on net or gross in terms of my income? And the best answer I've heard is one of my previous pastors says, do you want blessings in your life on net or gross? Which one do you want? It's up to you. I, the Bible doesn't speak to that topic specifically. Okay? Uh, but 10% is what God says is, is the minimum. And the New Testament doesn't lower that standard. only raises it. In some instances, saying give out of your poverty. Here's another reality. For some of you, this may be true, okay? Maybe you have a situation where you're covered up in debt and it's just eating you alive, okay? We would love, as best as we can, we have some financial counseling that's available for people to work with you in this aspect. You're under a heavy burden and you've been there for, you've been there for a long time, and we'd love to do everything we can to help you think through what it mean, might mean to come out of that and to change your lifestyle, Okay? But it doesn't remove this. It doesn't remove this. Okay? So, there are false beliefs that we have that are barriers to tithing. God has not changed. God overlooks disobedience. Number three, this is probably the biggest one. False belief that is a barrier to tithing is that God is stingy. You don't believe, you don't tithe because you believe God is stingy. Now, there's two aspects to this. You, you either may be tempted to believe that God is Scrooge or God is a single mother. Okay? Scrooge has piles of money and just doesn't want to dole it out to anybody because it's all his. So you believe God has everything, just doesn't want to give it to you. Or you may be, may be tempted to believe that God's like a single mother that just doesn't have a lot and has to scrupulously hand out a little bit. Whichever belief you tend to lean towards, those are false beliefs about God. God owns everything. Creation is abundant and keeps producing. And if creation ever did run out, all he would need to do is speak more into existence because that's what he did in the first place. There's an abundance with God. And verse 10 says, God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have enough room for it. In general... Testing God is bad. In fact, Jesus, when he's being tempted by the devil, says, I'm not going to test God. But here, he gives you free reign. Test him. See what's up. If you're a, a, a warm-blooded, meat-eating man, and you sit behind a Ferrari, let's just say it's red, because what other color is a Ferrari, right? And you're looking at a, a two-mile strip. You look to your left, your right, no cops, what are you going to do? Let's tell you what I'm going to do if I got the keys in my hand. I'm letting that thing rip, right? We're, we're, I'm going to burn tires, especially if the owner of the car, because it's obviously not me, is not around. I'm letting that thing rip. I'm going to see what it can do. There you go. All right. Yeah, I finally got the Presbyterians rolling out a little bit. There we go. Speak to me here, people. Right? We're going to test that thing. You don't want to test God, though, do you? Why? You want to know why? It's because you really don't believe that God is a Ferrari. You believe it's a 1999 Honda minivan. Pretty dependable, but don't test it. 
That's not what God says. That's not what God says. He says, test me in this because God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants you. He wants your heart. It's a faith issue. Look what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the test. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. This is about your delight, your faith, and your trust in God. I've personally been able to test the Lord here time and time again. Praise God, when I was converted early on, uh, someone taught me this. And most of my Christian experience, this has been my practice because someone loved me enough to teach me this, right? And time and time again, every year we have tithed, at the end of the year, we end up with more than what we started with. Sometimes the numbers don't make sense. It's just what happens. And then every year, this is one of the reasons why this isn't just for King's Church's budget purpose, this little pledge card. Um, it's a spiritual exercise for you. Every year, Jenny and I sit down and we pray. And we ask, how much faith do we have this year? And we took a leap of faith several years ago and gave more than 10%. It was really difficult for us. We didn't have, we didn't have a lot. And I remember specifically one day uh, looking at Christmas time. And it was coming up. I think I've told some of you this story before. And we didn't have enough money for Christmas. And it was just, I asked the Lord. I said, God, I can't invent more money. I can't go get another job. Ministry's enough. I'm busy. I don't know what to do. You tell me what to do. I'll st I, 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 the only thing I could see, the only way we, our budget can give is in tithing. So you tell me. And when I walked into the office that day, there was a $1,000 check on my desk. I don't, that's just how God works. You see what I'm saying? Test me in this. I, there's another man in his 80s at King's Church, at, King's Church at, at the church I was at in Anderson. And he said this to me. He's in mid-80s now. He said, I've always tithed and I've never lacked for anything. That's what he said. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines and your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours is a delightful land. See, Deuteronomy speaks about this, that they wander the wilderness for 40 years and their clothes and their sandals didn't wear out. Why? That's a miracle. Whenever I was going to seminary, I was driving a 1997 Ford Explorer. Not exactly a vehicle known for dependability. It made it through seminary. And I, and I think it was partly because God was looking out for us. It should have broken down. In fact, like three months after I graduated from seminary, it was like, done. But it didn't. And, and then whenever the gas prices soared in 2008, I think it was, Somebody in my church walked up to me and gave, and gave us gas cards so that we could travel from Columbia to uh, Charlotte to go to seminary, right? God has ways. God has ways. Um, does everything in your life fall apart? Maybe it's because you're not tithing. God is not stingy. He is full of blessings and can even prevent financial difficulties if you're faithful. Verse 12, then all nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land. This is really beautiful. There's an evangelistic aspect to tithing. 
that as a nation, the Israel, as a, as a nation, as a people, right? America is not a Christian nation per se, but the church obviously is a Christian people, okay? If the church is, is faithful in this, then people will notice. Question. Statistically, the statistics are somewhat old. I wish Barna, which is one of the statistical gathering agencies, would come out with some new statistics. But 2007, less than 10% of evangelicals tithed. Okay, based on their surveys. Based on our reading of this passage, are we shocked that Christianity is losing influence in the culture? God says that y'all will be blessed as a nation, and even others may be attracted into this nation of the church as you tithe. The biggest barrier between you and tithing is your false beliefs about God. We looked at God, the false belief that God changes, that God overlooks disobedience, that God is stingy. And then the one we'll look at right now is that God does not punish evil. The fourth false belief, God does not punish evil. He does. Verse 13, you have said harsh things against me, said the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who, cha who challenge God escape. The Israelites were looking at their surroundings. Persians don't love God. Wicked Babylonians don't love God. Wicked all the kingdoms around them don't love God. Wicked practices like killing babies and terrible sexual practices, all part of their worship service. And they seem to be prospering. And they're looking around going, yeah. Asaph in Psalm 73 has a, goes through this inside. He goes through this internally. In verse 17 he goes, I was bitter against God and them until I entered the sanctuary of God and I understood their final destiny. In other words, God will punish the wicked. Make no mistake about it. And God will discipline you because he loves you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seem pleasant at, seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It says that they go about like mourners before the Lord God Almighty, like those in sadness and warning. And you heard the sarcasm, Lord Almighty, yeah, right. But the problem here is that God never called them to go around like mourners. This is their own false belief. It, they said it's futile to serve God. God just brought you back from the exile. What do you mean it's futile to serve God? God took the, the most powerful king in the world at the time, Cyrus, and then he, unprompted, says, yeah, you can go back to your nation. Yeah, I'll let my best people go, and you can go ahead and go back. Sure, here's some money. Rebuild your temple. And that's not a work of the Lord? God was active. They just couldn't see it because they were blinded by their sin. God's active right now. You know, I feel like we're all tempted to be cynical and disappointed with our lives and what God's doing in our lives. I kind of grow tired of the good old days conversation that tends to come up from time to time. Oh, I wish, wish it was just like the good old days. Because God's not on his throne right now. 
right? The story is this. You have the Holy Spirit. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And I don't know if you got the memo, but we won the war over sin and death. Ball game. We win. That's good news. But we're tempted to believe that God doesn't punish evil because we see evil around us. Well, let me remind you, there's definitely evil around you, and it's there, but there's also evil in you. And it's because the discipline that you feel may be because God loves you that much, which actually leads us to our last point. The biggest barrier between you and your tithing is your false beliefs about God. We've looked at the fact the false beliefs of that God changes, and God overlooks disobedience, and God is stingy, and God does not punish evil. And then finally, the last false belief that's a barrier to your tithing is that God is indifferent towards you. He just keeps his distance, doesn't really care. You exist, but not a big deal. Malachi 3.16, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Just quickly here, isn't it interesting that the saints talked together and encouraged? Can I just encourage you not to live an isolated life? That here the, the saints get together, the people get together and they talk and they encourage each other and they spur on their obedience. It's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about community groups is because the devil wants you to live an, live an isolated life. God created you to be with people and to love each other. The scroll of remembrance here is the fact that God keeps track of your faithfulness. There are many passages in scripture about lists and God keeping track of what we do. His mind isn't weak like ours. He can remember things, but he still keeps that list. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, we read about this in verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the dead... And Hades gave up their dead, and each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades, they were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone's name that was not found in the book of life was thrown in the lake, into the lake of fire. What is written about you in the scroll? Specifically about your faithfulness with your money. Verse 17. We're closing out. Don't worry. But don't miss this. Verse 17 says, They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. You're tempted to believe and I think this is the strongest temptation we have, that God is indifferent towards you. You're tempted to believe that God is distant, that he's far away, that he doesn't care, that he created you, sure, but he just doesn't care about you that much. Listen to these words. You are mine. I will make up my treasured possession of you. God ask you to give of his, some of your possession because you're his treasured possession. He is trustworthy. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? You are God's child. You know, in our house, we have rules. You know, there's certain things you got to do. You got to take the time to teach our children how to sweep a floor. I can promise you this. I can sweep the floor about seven times faster. Why do we do it? Because we're teaching them this is part of what it is. And this inevitably comes up when it's chore time, right? When I get my house one day, I'm not cleaning anything. I'm just going to live in filth, right? And we hear that, but we know what's going to happen. No, you're not. One day, it'll provide the fruit. And this is how you'll live. And the same thing happens with our hearts when we're giving to the Lord, it's not because he needs it. It's not because I, I need them to sweep the floor. I'm wasting my time teaching them how to do it. I'm doing it because I love them and they need it. Same thing happens to us with our tithing. Christians, tithe. Don't tip. Why? Because you are a child of God bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He paid a high price for you. These are the false beliefs that are barriers. I'm asking you to do this. Believe in what the Bible says God is. Read it. Absorb it. Believe it. If you can see God for who he really is, Tithing will not be a barrier. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ before, before you start thinking about your money, start thinking about your soul. Solve that problem today. If you don't know what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin, talk to me. I'd love to work with you more about what that actually means and what a lifestyle of a Christian actually looks like. Fix that. Let's talk about it today. If you're a Christian... Live like a child. Obey the king. You're his. Believe rightly about the God we serve. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. There are times when obedience is difficult. We pray, God, that you would transition our faith, that we would be able to see you as you are and look at our obedience as a delight, specifically in this area of tithing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a...